up for Michelle. She's awesome. All right, so how's everyone doing today? Good? Yeah, we're in a new space. All right, we're going to do something a little different to begin with. So today is graduation Sunday. And, uh, and I have the extreme privilege of celebrating our graduates. So if you are a 20, class of 2017 graduate, raise your hand. All right, yeah. All right. Now we're going to take it a step further. Come up here. Come up here, class of 2017. There you go. Yeah, you can clap. That's good. Ricardo, you graduated? Come on, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. All right, guys, we're going to just take a moment. You know, these guys have worked extremely hard, and we, you know, as a church, we want to celebrate that. I think it's such an honor uh, to, to have that milestone in your life, and so we just want to celebrate you guys, uh, not only for graduating, but I know many of you guys have balanced serving at Hilltop and uh, also doing your studies at the same time, and that's nothing to overlook. So uh, we're so appreciative of you guys. We love you guys, and I want to invite our Hilltop leaders, and also AO. AO, you know who you are. To AO, come up here. AO, AO where my Gary? AO at? Come on, we need here to pray for people. And uh, if you're in the crowd, I want, I want to invite you to stretch out your hands. We're going to pray for these students as they embark on a new journey. Some of them are moving across the sea. Some of them are going to different states. We want to really bless them as a community, amen? So I'm going to start. I'm just going to pass the mic off to some of our team uh, to pray with them. So, Lord, we thank you for these graduates, God. We thank you, Father. Lord, for what you began, Lord God. We pray, Lord, that they wouldn't just simply graduate and it would end there. But, Lord, we ask, God, that their hunger and desire would be ever-increasing. Lord, we ask, God, the things that you have started, Lord God, in their education, Lord, we ask, God, that you would continue to bring those things into completion. Father, I ask, God, for the people that are standing before me today, God, that you would develop lovers after you, Lord. God, we ask, God, that they would be plunged into loving you, Father, as they are freed up with time, God, I ask, Lord, that they wouldn't try to free up the time with other things, but, Lord, they would devote themselves unto you, God. Father, I thank you for world changers, God, that stand before us, those that you're going to send in places of finance, God, education, Lord, of medicine, Lord, God, to, to be used by you. So, Father, we ask, Lord, God, that you would grip these hearts, Lord. God, we ask, Lord, that you would grip these hearts before us, Lord. God, that all the days of their life, that they would be committed to you, Lord, committed to seeing your kingdom come, your kingdom established, Lord, in every place they set foot. God, we thank you for their lives, Lord. We thank you, God, that none of them, Lord God, would be left out shortchanged, but Lord, that they would find themselves growing more deeply in love with you, Jesus. God, we ask that you would do this in your name. Yes, Lord. God, I just thank you over every dream that you dreamed over these guys Lord, every dream you've put in their hearts, God, the dreams they studied and worked so hard for, God, I ask that they would see those dreams come to pass, God, and that you would even put new dreams in their hearts. Lord, as they go into this next season, God, I ask that they would be servants of you more than servants of their own ambitions. Lord, that they would be followers and chasers of God. Lord, like Matt prayed, in everything they do, God, I ask that they would put you first. And God, that you would bless their efforts as they do that, in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for the page that is turning and the new page that's being written, God. We ask, Lord, that according to your will, according to your purposes, they would be led, God, by your hand, always in the center of your will. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for the task that has been completed and the new task that will begin, God. 
Oh, Father, we ask, Lord, that your spirit would be upon them. God, in this new season of their lives, Lord, that you would establish them, God, firmly, not just in work, God, not just in places of influence, but in your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray these things. Amen. Lord, we just thank you that, that your, the journey is with you and through you. And we thank you that you've marked these, these great people and that you'll be faithful to journey with them. And this is just one step along that road of, that, of the life plan you have for them, that it's an important step, but it's, 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 it's just one more time to connect with you. And, and we pray that they would have confidence and security and understanding of what you have in store for them, that their faith in all of the outcomes in the days ahead will come through you and with you. We thank you that they, they are a group that, that, will, that will consecrate themselves to you and that they will be faithful and they will walk with you. And we thank you for your invitation and how gracious you are to be there, that no matter where they travel, where their feet lay, what, what part of the world, whether it's in this community or somewhere else, that they will never, ever shake you, that you will be there with them every step of the way. And we pray for that, that enlightenment and that lightness of heart that goes on a day like today, that it's a new beginning, it's, it's a mourning, it's, it's an it's a, it's a, it's a unveiling of, of a future that could have all sorts of things in it, good ones and bad ones, but that it'll be a journey with you, which is the best, best outcome of any life on this planet. Dear Father, I just thank you so much for what you have done as they are in school, God, um, all the studies and the community that you have surrounded them with, Lord. I just pray for steadfastness as they walk into the new season, God, that they'll surround themselves with community and they'll just root themselves in you, God. So we just, yeah, we just pray for steadfastness, Lord, in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you so much for your faithfulness, Lord. And Father, I thank you that as good as you've been to these graduates in the past during their school year, they can expect greater things from you, Lord. That you never go less, you don't know, take steps behind, but you always expect greater and give greater, Father God. That you, have, you call them to, great, to greater things, Father. And Father, I just ask um, just for a blessing of favor and an increase of territory, Lord Jesus. May they be a reflection of your light and your glory and your power. Father God, I just bless them, Lord, with the knowledge that they have full, complete authority in you, Lord. As your children, as co-heirs with Christ, Father God, they have all the authority, Father God, to change their environments, Father God, to change their friends and family and co-workers, Father God, to reflect the love of God, Father, and to declare your goodness, Father God. Wherever they go, Lord, may they raise your banner, Father, may they declare your kingdom, in this city and wherever they end up, Father God, may they just be um, glorifying you in all that they do, Lord Jesus. And so, Father, we thank you that you have blessed them. We thank you that you have gifted them, Father God. And, Father, we just come before you as a family. We lift them up to you, saying we say more, Father, yes. more of you, more of your love, more of your power, more of your spirit, Lord. We just want more of you, Lord. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So class of 2017, we have gifts for you after service. So make sure you go to the info center after service. Don't leave without a gift. Um, yeah, make sure you get your gift. Get your it's gift. Important. You guys sure. can have a seat. Thank you, guys. Come on, put your hands together yeah. for these people.
Well, briefly, my name is Daryl Temple. I'm actually the lead pastor of this church, just in case there's anybody new in the house this morning. Uh, welcome to Hilltop Church. This is my good friend. This is actually our campus pastor, Matthew Harlan. Yeah. So we thought it would be fitting if he brought the word uh, this morning. So let's just ask one more time in prayer that our heads and our hearts would be open to the gift of God and the word of God. Father, we thank you for the gift within Matthew Harlan. Lord, we ask, Lord, that it would be released, Lord, unto its fullest, that we might eat, God, and be encouraged and be strengthened in our inner man. Open our hearts and our heads, Lord, to your word, and let Jesus be exalted in our hearts. We pray these things in your name. Amen. 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 How's everyone doing today? Great. Amen. I'm excited to be with you guys. I'm excited to address you guys uh, this morning. And what I'm going to be talking about today, I think, is extremely foundational um, to our Christian faith. I think it's uh, the thing where everything flows from. I think it governs our decisions. I think it governs the things that we choose to do on a daily basis. And so I want to encourage you, if uh, any of this language that I use today um, at any point in time sounds familiar to you, I want to encourage you to go deeper. You know, it says that scripture is inexhaustible. We can't exhaust it. God is inexhaustible. And so I want to encourage you to, to dig deep with me. And we're going to read a couple of scriptures, and then I'm going to take a more granular approach and focus on a couple of things this morning. Um, one thing I'm here to say is that I'm not here to impress you this morning. Um, I didn't come to, to preach this morning to, to impress anyone in this room. I've come to lift up the name of Jesus, to exalt his name. And so as I'm preaching, um, you know, I, I just happen to be the conduit that God is doing it with. But I want you to really focus your eyes and your attention on what God is going to be speaking to you today. And so, um, you know, with that, since this is graduation Sunday, you know, we're in a new space. This is a new season. A lot of you guys are graduating. You know, people are, are, are having babies making babies, people are getting married, you know, putting rings on, and it's, ex it's exciting, right? This is an exciting time, and, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited. I, I love whenever the seasons change because, you know, the sun's out. You just, you feel good outside. You know, how many of you guys feel good today? It's just like everything is good, and all these things are great. All these things are, are, are exciting, and all these things are worth celebrating, but if we lose sight of why we are here, if we lose sight of why we have gathered this morning, what we're doing is vain, right? What we're doing is in vanity. And what I really want to focus in on is what becomes the grounding element, right, in the ups and downs of life. Whenever things are exciting and we're graduating, we're passing milestones, or whether some of you are maybe in a place where you're indecisive, you don't know what the future is going to look like. What really becomes the centering element for you? And uh, I'm going to go through a couple of scriptures that I feel like really kind of describe that. You know, Paul Whenever Paul is speaking, Paul, Paul talks about pressing on towards the goal, right? He talks about pressing on towards Christ. And as a Christian, as an American Christian, it's so easy for us to get caught up in everything around us in, in a current context, right? It's so easy to get caught up on what's happening tomorrow. It's so easy to get caught up on what the next five years are going to look like in developing a five-year plan, plan. But God calls us to look further than that. You know, the, one of the interesting things about God is God sees time from end to end in its completion. He doesn't see time as, as a series of events. See, me and you, the way we come to understand time is through our experience. So we may go through something, and that becomes the measure of which we judge and, or, or the benchmark of which we use to, to judge how much time it's been. But God, God is so vast that he sees the full picture of time. 
And the reason why I'm saying this, I want to encourage you this morning that if you feel like you're in a place where you feel stuck, right, in your current situation, you feel like you're in a place where I don't know if I'm exactly where I want to be, I want to encourage you to put your faith and trust in Christ, the one who sees it to completion. He sees the full picture of it. He was here before time began. He, he exists as time is, is currently happening, and he knows the future. He sits before us. And so there is a king that sits on the throne that knows these things, and that's something that we can put our trust and our faith in. And that's exciting news. That's exciting. The reason why I'm pointing this out to you is, is that there has to be something about us as Christians that is markedly different than those of the world. There has to be. What really separates us in our faith? Have you ever thought about that? What separates the professing believer that says, oh, I know God, I know who God is, versus the one that actually knows him? What becomes a distinguishing element? That's what I'm going to take you through today. If you can turn your Bibles to John chapter 17, verse 3 for me. Give me a hallelujah when you're there. Come on, y'all. There's like three people. Give me a hallelujah when you're there. Hey, amen. All right, we got church. We can st- I can start now. <laughs> we got church. All right, so John 17, 3, this is what it says. It says, this is eternal life, that we may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It's interesting in that scripture where he first starts off saying, this is eternal life, right? That we may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So in this scripture, we can see the basis of eternal life, I would say, is knowing God, right? It's of extreme importance that for us to have eternal life, we must first know the one who grants eternal life. And I love, I love Paul's take on this. In Philippians 3, he takes it a little bit deeper. He says this. He says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead, his glory. So basically, Paul is saying this as he's, as he's writing his letters to, to the church in Philippians. He's saying, I want to share in the sufferings of Christ, that I might come to a further understanding of who he is, that I might also share in his resurrection and his glory. He takes it extreme. He says, I don't just want to know this Jesus, right? He says, and if we put it in a current context, I don't just want to come to church and show up and read the scriptures and do the service. He says, I want to share with him in his sufferings. That's intense. That's intimate language. How many of you in this room would be willing to share my sufferings with me? Nobody. (laughs) That's great. I'm glad I got friends in the house. Amen. But Paul, Paul says this about Jesus. I don't don't just want to know about him. He says, "I I want to be knit with him. I want to be embedded into the sufferings of Christ so that I might come to a fuller knowledge of who he is. And I think Paul is really touching on something that I think is very important for all of us to see. Very important for all of us to see. And so, as you can, as, as you can see, I, what I'm talking about today is knowing God. Knowing who God is. And scripture places extreme emphasis on knowing who God is because without this knowledge, nothing we do as Christians makes sense. We're just making noise. If we don't actually, if we are in this place today, right, and we've professed Christ, but we aren't actually on a pursuit to know him. We, we, there's nothing that we, we're doing today that actually makes sense. And this word know in the Bible, this concept of know is, 
is it's re, it's it happens all throughout Scripture, and, and it's actually a very simple word in the Greek. Uh, it's interchanged with abide. It's interchanged with uh, the ind, with indwelling. It's interchanged with um, even love and intimacy um, in the Jewish language. And I'm going to get to what that word means in a second. But um, in John 14:4, you can turn there with me. These are the words of Jesus. You know, there was a, um, there was a I used to go to, to summer camp. I love summer because it reminds me of summer camp. And there was, this, uh, there was this song we used to sing at summer camp. And uh, I'm going to sing it for you guys. It was, uh, this is a red alert. Do what he said. This is a red alert. Reading the red. I'm going to stop. But I thought it was cool because basically they were saying, like, focus on the red. You know, focus on the red in the Bible. And so this is Jesus talking. I'm, I'm gonna, I won't sing anymore, I promise. You guys are going to be leaving, I promise. Um, John 15, 4 says this. It says, abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus has given us very clear instruction here. He's saying, don't just be around me. But he says, I want you inside of me. I want you to abide in me because he says, without being in this place, you can't bear fruit. Every branch that is separated from me can't bear fruit. It doesn't have the ability to. And so the, the focus really becomes how do we abide in Christ? And let me break it down to you really simply, right? Let's say Tom Cruise walks in the room today, right? Tom Cruise, yeah, Tom Cruise is here. And Tom Cruise walks around. He walks over here. He's, you know, he's walking around. He's kind of confused, doesn't know where he is, and then he leaves, and then I come to maybe one of you who weren't here that Sunday. I said, hey, guys, yo, Tom was here. We chopped it up. We were really close like Tom was here. And then let's say you know Tom, right? And you call Tom up. Hey, Tom, I heard you at Hilltop. He's like, yeah, maybe. Hey, did you meet Matt? He's like, I don't even know who that is. I was in the room, but I, I don't know who Matt is. And that, that's an example because a lot of us treat Jesus like that, right? We're comfortable with being in the room with Jesus. We're comfortable seeing him show up, but we really haven't taken a, a step to actually know him. We're really not abiding. You know, if you are in this place this morning, I, I don't want to say this to condemn you, but if you are in this place this morning and Sunday morning and Wednesday is the only time where you engage with God, you are missing so much of your Christianity. You are missing so much of his love. You know, I love his word in Second. Corinthians, he says, he looks earnestly throughout the earth. His eyes search to and fro for those that he might earnestly entrust himself into. That God is actually looking to entrust the, the most intimate part of him. He's looking to share himself with us this morning. And so I'm mainly, Jesus is offering an invitation to us in this place. You know, it's not offering an invitation to know of me topically. He's not offering an invitation to, to know uh, as much scripture as you can, but he says, I want you to know me intimately because it's from that place that you can bear fruits, from that place that people will know that you are my disciples. He said greater works, right? Didn't he say that? He said greater works you'll do. And so as we see, this know is, is much deeper than just a knowledge of who God is. It's actually more intimate than that. Um, a couple of scriptures that reference this know, Galatians 2.20, which talks about the indwelling Christ, John 17, 23, which talks about Christ saying, I and them and you and me, when he's calling us to be one. And also John 56, where he says, whoever eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood remains in me and I in him. 
So we know this word is very deep. And what this word is essentially is in the Greek is it's gnosko. Say it with me. It's weird. Gnosko. Gnosko. Doesn't that sound? That doesn't sound too attractive. But um, this word means no. And essentially, it means to know experientially. It means to know through experience. It means to know intimately. And where this word kind of shows up in Scripture, um, many of you know the story, but whenever the angel appears to Mary and tells Mary, you're going, you're going to conceive the Savior of the world, essentially. And then she, she responds to the angel. She says, I've never known a man before. And essentially what she's saying is, I've never intimately known anyone. How can this even happen? And so that's where that word is present, what that word means. And so let's look at how Jesus communicates what this word knows. You know, there's two in the Bible that I feel um, got it, you know. There's plenty more, but there's two people that my heart is really uh, tied to in the Bible that I feel like really understand this known. Those two people are Peter and Mary. You know, when we look at the, those two figures in the Bible, we can see that the way they responded to Jesus, there was something markedly different in their interactions with Jesus. When we look at Peter, whenever Peter was, on, um, was in the boat with the disciples, and if you can picture, like picture this storm going on, and the disciples are in the boat with Peter, and they see Jesus walk on the wall, and they're freaking out. You know, they're scared, like, oh, what's going on? And, G- and Peter sees Jesus on the water. He says, Lord, if that is you, beckon me to come. And so what happens is Peter gets up out of the boat, and he starts to walk towards Jesus. There's just countless stories like that in the Bible between Peter and Mary that just inflame my heart with, Lord, what did they see that allowed them to approach you differently? Because in that context of that story, there's other disciples in the boat. There are other disciples that have been with Jesus all of this time. But Peter saw something different. He saw something that compelled the the very inside, the, the constructs of his humanity to transcend even the things that he thought he could do to come and meet Jesus on the water. And that's what I'm interested in today because it is that power, it is that view of who God is that's what's going to sustain you in your day of trouble. It's that view of who God is is what's going to sustain you in the prayer room. It's that view of who God is is what's going to sustain you even whenever there's luxury around you. We must have this as Christians. This isn't an optional thing. God says hot or cold, hot or cold, not lukewarm. He says I'm not looking for partial Christianity here. He says I'm not looking for a partial experience with you. He says I want to know you deeply, so much so that I am inside of you. When we say Jesus is living inside of us, that's not fancy language. It's that Christ has come inside of us. He's taking residence to give us the strength and ability to overcome the world, to call us heavenward. And that's what I want to continue to explain as we go. So let's look at Luke chapter 10. And we're going to see the accounts of this no taking place um, with Mary and Martha. Give me a hallelujah when you're there. All right, you guys are awake. That's good. All right, Luke chapter 10. Do we have it on the screen? Verse 38. So it says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. Listen to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. 41, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, 
and it will not be taken away from her. The story is interesting to me, especially the context of the story. One, Mary's name um, tra- uh, translated actually means Miriam. And what Miriam means is, uh, it means distressed one, that which, w- which is without a child. And so let's just talk about the context of Mary and Martha, for, for, for instance, uh, for a second. So Mary and Martha, they're from Bethany, right? Um, six days before Passover, Jesus is entering the town of, of, of Bethany to come meet and check up on Lazarus. Lazarus is there reclining at the table. Martha's getting the preparations, almost like to think of it in a southern context, like Martha's cooking up collard greens and baking cornbread. And like she's sitting there, she has this moment. She has this moment of reflection, right? She sees Mary, you know, go and attend to Jesus. And she has this moment where she's like, man, that Mary like always looking for attention. I'm in here doing all the work. Like I've cleaned, I've made the preparations and like she's, she's just excited to see Jesus and almost brings up this resentment in here. Um, there's two accounts of this story actually in scripture. One happens in Luke and the other happens in John, uh, which takes the story a little bit further. And so you don't have to go there, but I'm just going to read that. Just keep that, in, keep that in mind. So in John 12, it says, six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it at Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used used to help himself to that which was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for me for the day of burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Man, this scripture is... The defining, this scripture for me is what's posted on my wall. This scripture for me is what compels me to go after Christ. And one is because I love to think about the details in scripture. One, Mary and Martha, they weren't yet married. They probably were somewhere in their 20s and their parents were nowhere around. And so this perfume that was stored in their family vault within their house was actually kept for Mary to use as a dowry, as an offering for her to marry um, her, her future husband. But in an act of what would seem to be access to the disciples, she takes this perfume, she breaks it open in the midst of the disciples all around, in the midst of Lazarus at the table, in the midst of her sister cooking, and she pours it on the feet of Jesus embarrassing in front of everyone, so much so that the fragrance, it's so potent that it becomes, it becomes to fill the house with the fragrance. Something beautiful that she did. And it says that her story will be told. Every, everywhere that the gospel is preached, it says this story of Mary is going to be preached. And the reason why this story uh, really grips my heart is because a lot, a, a lot of times, if your walk in Christ is not looking foolish, and when I, I use that term very loosely, if it's not looking peculiar, you need to really question your, your devotion to Christ. If it's looking safe, see, as Christians, you, we're called to be risk takers. We're not called to play it safe. God didn't, God didn't give you new life so that you can, you know, get your 401k. 
drive your nice car and go to work. No, he gave you eternal life because he says, I want you for me. It's an even exchange. It's all of you for all of me. And Mary, in all of her what would seem as foolery, decides to take this perfume, probably all that she had, everything that was given to her from her parents, and says, you know what? There is a king that has come into my presence. There is one that is worthy, the only one that is worthy of value, and I must pour this out on his feet. A couple things about this story also that we need to pay attention to. It was the feet of Jesus she poured it on. The dirtiest part. See, back then in that culture, the feet were something that you didn't touch. Whenever, if someone were to take off their shoe and throw it at you, it would be the most horrendous insult that you could have thrown at you. She decides to take the best part of her, her hair, symbolizes a woman's glory, and says, you know what, this king is worth the very glory that I have attached to my life. He is worth the very oil to pour out on his feet as an offering, and I will wipe his feet with my tears, and I will wipe his feet with my hair, regardless of what the cost is, regardless of what Martha's going to think, regardless of what his very own disciples are going to think, because he is worthy. God is calling us into this extravagant love. If you were a Christian today, this is the type of love that God is calling you to. It's extravagant. It's not safe. It's not lukewarm. Another interesting thing is Mary was at the feet of Jesus, right? Being at the feet of Jesus was the place for the disciples. The pupils would actually sit at Jesus' feet to hear him as he teaches. And so Mary, even being a woman in that time, it was taboo for a woman to be discipled. She decides, I'm going to position myself under God to hear from him because he is the only one worthy of my attention in this moment. Man, could you imagine? She goes, she passes. I can just see her running through the security. The disciples are like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? She goes through the, the disciples. She gets down on her feet. She takes his perfume and she decides to wash it on Jesus' dirty feet because he's beautiful. She saw something different that day. She saw something that human eyes couldn't tell her. She saw something. She had a revelation of who God was that was far beyond anything that was taught to her. It was the Gnosko. Because she knew who was before her. She knew God. And that same no is what God has called each and every believer into today. Each and every believer. There's this quote from John Piper, which I love. It's actually a quote that stems from an excerpt that Jonathan Edwards wrote. And it says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I know it seems cliche to say this, but there is nothing in your life, as graduates, as professionals, whatever you may call yourself, whatever you're classifying, there is nothing in your life that is more satisfying than throwing yourself before the Lord. There is nothing in your life that is more worth it than giving yourself to God fully. There is nothing in your life that can attain, you can, you can have a six-figure job, you can be doctor, whatever, you can be the president of, of whatever country you want to be, but there is nothing more gratifying, more satisfying than being enjoyed by God. God calls you his beloved. He wants to enjoy you. He wants to, he, and he, not only does he want to enjoy you, but he wants you to enjoy him. He wants you to know who he is. And that's the invitation that Jesus offers us. That's the invitation that Jesus offered on the cross. He says, I am willing to die. I'm willing to go through ridicule. I'm willing to go through shame. I'm willing to be spat at. I'm willing to have people question my identity because I love them. I'm willing to give myself for them. 
because I want them to know me. This love is so good. It's so rich. I want to invite them into it. That's what he was saying in John 17. He says, Lord, I have kept all those that you have given me. I have watched over them. And Lord, my prayer, my last request is that you would make them one with us. That they would be able to experience the glory that I had with you before time. The unity that we have with the Spirit, the Father, and the Son. I want them to have that, he says. Because I see value in them. Isn't that crazy? That us lowly creatures in all of our foolery, half the time, us in this place, we don't even give 30 minutes to devote to God on a day. But he says, I will move heaven and earth on their behalf to come to entrust myself into them. That blows my mind. You know, we take scriptures so casually. We read it for God's love where he gives. Oh, yeah, I know that. I learned that in Sunday school. Guys, if we really start to grab hold to what Jesus is trying to communicate, this is a God that is enraged with love. Enraged. You know, we sing songs like he is like fire. He is like wind. He is like rain. No, God isn't just like those things. Those are the only words we can use to describe his goodness. The thing you don't know is God is the perfect embodiment of these words that we use. He doesn't just display love. He is love. He's love in his purest perfection. He doesn't just, he doesn't just display faithfulness. He is faithfulness. Those things stem from his goodness. It's like there is light on the throne, emulating from the throne. His goodness is just continuing to be proclaimed. And he wants us to experience that. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Many of you guys haven't tasted. You haven't tasted the Lord. You haven't had the Lord wreck you. And when I say wreck you, meaning when you look at your life, you can't find anything else that is worth your time. There is nothing else that is more valuable Man, when I was 15 years old, God wrecked me with this vision of who he is. Because for so long, like many of you, I was coming to church. I did all the great things because I thought they were good. I thought that's what the Lord wanted of me. I showed up to church. I would serve in the Lord. And these, all these things do communicate your relationship with God. Don't get me wrong. But backwards, it communicates something totally different to him. Right? I was showing up at church. I was doing all the right things. And I remember I went home. I had a dream. I had a dream. And in my dream... I was sleeping in this room by myself, and this woman comes in my room, and she opens up the door, and she's frantically crying, and she looks at me with tears in her eyes, and she says, don't forget the oil. Don't forget the oil. Don't forget the oil. And when I woke up, I was actually physically crying. I I had never experienced this much sorrow in my life, in any point in my life. I was physically shaken. Because I I felt like I was there, like I I had known the lady. And she's like, don't forget the oil. See, the oil is what is produced from your life. See, suffering that we go through isn't unto anything. It's not unto nothing. Suffering produces something in our life. When we have the ability as Christians in our suffering, in our trial and tribulation to say, God, I will remain seated before you because I know that you are good, it actually produces something. And this lady in my dream was saying, don't forget the place of intimacy, essentially. God wants to be intimate with you this morning. I'm here to tell you, all of you. This is the most important thing I can tell you guys this morning, is that there is a God that wants to be intimate with you. A lot of us are approaching God like we just want to see him casually. We're okay with him coming into the room. But he says, I want to dwell inside of you. I want to be your chief obligation. You were made to be a lover in this place. Many people were thinking about, what are we going to do in five years? I don't know. Am I going to get a job here? Am I going to get a promotion? You were made to be a lover. From that place stems the outflow of life. Everything comes from him. 
and everything will return from. There is no other place. People will tell you otherwise. The world is going to tell you everything is vying for your attention, right? Read this book. In five days, you'll be a millionaire. Take this class. You'll lose 60 pounds in two days. All these things, these false, these false promises that it tries to give us. But at the end, it says they're all broken cisterns. They promise to give water, but they don't supply. The only thing that can is Jesus. The only name that can bring you joy is Jesus. This sounded foreign to me a couple years ago because I didn't know. I didn't know the one I was professing. But whenever I decided to actually develop a relationship, I said, God, Mary and Peter saw something drastically different. I want that. You can read scripture. This is a cool thing about scripture. You can read scripture and you can say, God, you did this. God, can you do it again? Can you do it in my life? Because you know what scripture does is he sends scripture out. He sends his word out and it does not return void into him. It completes everything that it accomplishes. And the scriptures actually promise. So you can start to grab hold of this promise of saying, God, make me like you in this way. I want to know you experientially. I want to gnosko you. And you know what he'll say? He said, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'm going to show you another account of Mary and Martha. And it's actually a little bit later on in John where two, two individuals, Mary and Martha, approach Jesus basically with the same statement. And Jesus responds drastically different to each one. And I think it's totally due to this know, this knowledge that he has. So if you can turn with me. To John eleven seventeen. 17. So just to kind of give you the backstory, Lazarus is dead. D-O-A. And Jesus is coming to town. We're going to pick up the story in John, in uh, verse 17. It says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to confront them in in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? She says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. She says, the teacher is here and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went out to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but as soon as soon, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been who had been with Mary in the house confronted her, I'm sorry, comforting her, noticed noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet again and said, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. The same thing that Martha said earlier. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and says, where where have you laid him, he asked. 
Anytime in Scripture, there's a couple times in Scripture I think that really grabbed my heart. When it says that Jesus was either amazed or deeply moved, instantly my attention is grabbed. God, what moved your heart in this situation? What moved your heart to enact on the response of Mary and not enact on the response of Martha in this situation? And I really think it has everything to do with who Martha was. Martha had established this relationship with God of saying, Lord, I know you. God, I know who you are. And he sees, he comes in, he sees Mary. He's like, ah, that's the one I know. Mary, what is wrong? My brother is dead. Where is he? Show me where he is. See, that's how prayer works. A lot of us, we pray and we wonder why our prayers aren't hitting the ceiling. And my question to you is, have you really developed to know God? Is your heart really seeking to him? Are you looking to know the God of the universe? Or are you just seeking to have your request answered? Like he's some type of magic eight ball. Lord, do this. Okay, yeah, I'm going to do it. No, he enacts, he moves on the words of his people. He looks to partner with his people. It's a partnership God is looking for. And so if that is you in this place, if you feel like, man, I've been praying, I've been seeking God, I've been asking God to to do this thing in my life, I would really ask you to examine your life to say, are you really looking to embed yourself in his suffering, to embed yourself in his glory, to be made like him? Are you really seeking that he would have preeminence within you, that every place in you, every desire, every dream, every want is fully subjected to him at his feet? Mary saw this. Mary saw something differently whenever she responded to Jesus. And I feel like in this place, that is what God is looking for in us. And the thing is, it takes love to give love. This love is so supernatural, you can't do it in your natural ability. It's not anything you can work up. It's not anything that you can do. It's not anything you can learn to do. In Matthew 7, it says this. Many people are coming to the Lord. They're saying, Lord, Lord, we healed the sick. We prophesied. We raised the dead. The blind are seeing. And he says this. He says, depart from me. I never knew you. I never gnoscoed you. You never were intimately acquainted with who I was. And so it's less about the response. It's more about the heart posture God is looking for. He's saying, I'm looking to intimately know you so that you can be authorized to do greater works than I did myself. That's what he's looking for today, this morning. And so I want to invite you into that. Many of you in this place, you've been in church all your life. You are veterans in the church. Golf, clap it up. Congratulations. But have you really sought to have God arrest you? Have you sought to have all your faculties all your desires to say there is one thing I desire more than all the rest, and that is to know you. David saw this. Psalms 27, he says, Lord, one thing I desire is to gaze upon your beauty, because I know in viewing you, you will make me like you. Irrespective of what's going on, there is one thing I desire more than the rest, is to entertain the king of creation. And the crazy thing about this situation is that as you start to do that, it says not only that, but it says as we draw near to God, God draws near to us. It's not a vain pursuit. It's not a broken cistern. As you put feet to your words, as you start to live out the songs that you sing in this place every Sunday, as you start to walk out your salvation, as you start to say, God, there is one thing I desire more than the rest, and that is to know you. And it's more than just to know to have my needs met. It's more than just to know to say that I'm associated with you, but I want you to be inside of me.
I want Christ to dwell in me that I might know him, that I might participate in his suffering. See, Paul had something. When he was telling us to, to press on towards a goal, I can picture Paul. Paul was not a 200-meter man. My man Paul was a cross-country, cross-country sprinter. He was looking for the long haul. He was saying, you know, it's, it's not about what happens tomorrow. Whether I'm in, he says, whether I'm in chains or I'm not, he says, I've learned to be content in all things. Why? Because it's Christ that beckons me forward. It's Christ that calls me home. He is the end goal. He is the destination. There is nothing else in my life that can distract me, that can deter me, or that can hinder his promises. Because what he says is yes and amen, and I'm going after that. We need to be like Paul this morning. Seriously. I talked to some of you, and I'm not trying to be mean. I'm really, I'm a nice guy, and I'm really fun. I promise. I promise you. But this is so weighty to my heart. I talked to some of you, and it's like, man, oh, man, guys, I didn't eat lunch yesterday. The world is going to end. I I thought I was going to have lunch, and I didn't eat it. And it's like your world has 360'd become spinned out of control because of, of, I'm not trying to be insensitive to needs. I understand we have things that need to be handled. But in light of who God is, is it really that big? The struggles that you go through all day, are they really that big? You know what happens when you look at God? You see how big he is. You see how vast he is. And then everything else starts to look so much more smaller. So much more smaller. Matthew 6.33 says this, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. All these things shall be added to you. It's a promise. God's word doesn't return void. He actually enacts and moves to accomplish all that it's set out to do. Amen. And I really think this no, I think it's also synonymous with faith. In Hebrews eleven six, it says this. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he's also a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. God is looking to not sell you short. God is not looking to promise something to you and then pull it away. He's looking to entrust himself into you this morning. And so if I can invite Will up to the keyboard. And we're going to take a moment. I, w- I want to take a serious moment this morning. Get out of the routine of Sunday morning. I want to take a serious examination to have Holy Spirit to look at our hearts to say, God, do I know you? Because we will all stand before the Lord on that day. Whether uh, my pastorship means nothing to God. Whether I lead worship or I, I volunteer in kids, it means nothing to him. He's going to say, did you know me? And that becomes the chief obligation is that we were made to be lovers of God. And there is a God that so drastically and fiercely would throw all of heaven to show you that he loves you because he wants to bring you in reconciliation to him. That's the mystery of who God is. The mystery is that God is actually a God that is near, that he is close to the brokenhearted. So I want to bow our heads this morning. And I don't want to move too quickly on this. I think this is a very serious thing that many of you have professed to know God with your mouth but yet something in your life is amiss your focus your perspective is not where it should be that you actually have said Lord I want you but then whenever it comes to actually trusting him you have withdrawn yourself and so I want to challenge you this morning to ask Holy Spirit We're going to ask, Holy Spirit, 
We ask that you would examine our hearts this morning, God. Lord, I ask, God, that you would examine everyone's heart this morning, God, that we would know you, Lord, as the scripture says, that we would gnosko you, Father. Lord, we don't want to go through life trusting in broken cisterns. But, Father, we want to know the God that would move heaven and earth to meet us. Father, we just say, come in this moment, Holy Spirit. We say, come and fill the room, Lord. God, I ask, Lord, that you would begin to speak to hearts. God, those that you have prepared to receive your kingdom in this place, Lord, I ask, God, that you would begin to speak to their hearts, God. Father, we ask, God, that you would take full residence. Lord, in this moment, we ask that you would take full residence. God, that everything that competes for our time, everything that competes for our attention, Lord, we pray that those things would be made low. And Lord, we ask, God, that you would take the throne of our hearts this morning, God. Father, I ask, God, if we have never said it today, if we have never come to this point that God is worth everything, if we have never come to this point that he is worth my suffering, that he is worth my jubilee, that he is worth my mundane, Lord, I ask that you would take us to this point today, God. I want to invite you to join me here at this altar, not to do an emotional play, but I think this is very serious. I think this is very serious because this becomes a separator between those who who know God, who will enter into everlasting life and those that who will not. And so I want to invite you up to this altar to join me. If you were looking to say, Lord, I want to know you. I want to, two things, two people. I'm going to make you Lord of my life. I've never done it before. I don't even know what it means, but I know God is speaking to me in this moment and I can't ignore it. I want to invite you to come meet me here. And the second group of people I want to address are those that have been in Christ. Those that have professed to know him but yet you haven't been abandoned yet. You don't know the place of abandonment. You want what Mary saw. You want what Peter saw. So I want to invite you to come. We're not going to move too long on this, but I want to invite you to come and meet me here at the altar.